Hey, Next on the Teen Nation, thanks for tuning in and listening to this segment of the show featuring PGA Tour legend Tim Simpson. And thank you very much for voting the show up to number two this month in the Podcast Magazine Hot 50 list for the June edition. Please keep voting. You can do so daily by going online to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50. I really appreciate all of your support. Enjoy this segment of the show. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our friends over at the Macklemore. As you guys know, my buddies and I were there again a couple of weeks ago for our annual golf trip. Second time we went back. So amazing. Even better the second time around. Everything about the place is first class. The accommodations were fantastic. The practice facility is great and about to get even greater when they open up their new Himalayas putting green. The on-premise restaurant called The Craig has outstanding food and service. And to say the course is spectacular is an understatement. I can't say enough great things about the place, folks. Go online to themaclemore.com to see how spectacular it is for yourself. The golf course is co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones. And our friend and PGA Tour caddy and one of my guests tonight, Kip Henley, said outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. Golf Digest agreed, naming it the best finishing hole in America since 2000. And Lynx Magazine doubled down on that, naming it one of the top 10 finishing holes in all of golf. See why we're all saying such great things about the course and the resort by going online to themaclemore.com. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade. Golf is an interesting game because the better you hit the ball, the fewer shots you have to hit. That means the better you hit the ball, the less golf you actually have to play. That's why TaylorMade made their all-new Stealth Irons. TaylorMade Stealth Irons feature a cap-back design with a 3D toe wrap designed to help deliver increased distance throughout the bag and more forgiveness on those occasional, or maybe not so occasional, less-than-perfect shots. The result? Better shots more often, so you get to have more fun more often. So if you're the kind of golfer who wants to play less golf more often, try the all-new Stealth Irons from TaylorMade, Beyond Driven. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me and making his seventh appearance is one of the all-time great ball strikers and one of my all-time favorite guests, and that's Tim Simpson. Tim is from right here in Atlanta, Georgia, played his college golf at the University of Georgia, where he lettered in 1975 and 76. During his time there, Tim was named All-SEC, All-American, and a college All-Star. Tim won the Southern Amateur in 1976, and he turned pro in 77. He won four times out on the PGA Tour at the 1985 Southern Open, the 1989 USF&G Classic, and back-to-back years at the Walt Disney World Oldsmobile Open in 89 and 90. He also won the Georgia Open five times, the Casserole World Championship over in France, He was named the PGA Tour Comeback Player of the Year in 1989. He had two top 10 finishes in majors, both coming in 1990 at the U.S. Open and PGA Championship. That year, he was named the Georgia Professional Athlete of the Year. In 2004, he was inducted into the State of Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. In 2006, he was inducted into the Georgia State Golf Association Hall of Fame and named the Comeback Player of the Year out on the Champions Tour. Over the course of his PGA and Champions Tour careers, he had 82 top 10 finishes and 202 top 25s. Like I say, he's a great guy, and I'm very honored he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Timbo, how are you, my friend? I'm doing fantastic, Chris. Thanks for thinking of me. I always look forward to coming on. Tim, as we've been communicating over the last few weeks, I got very excited because you've been getting healthier and healthier and maybe 
getting an opportunity to get back and start to play some golf. I know we've had a little setback recently with a wrist injury. Catch us up. How you doing? Yeah, it's it's uh the hits never stop coming with me, I guess. But uh anyway, uh as I mentioned a few minutes ago off the air to you, I've got a CAT scan in the morning to see if I have a torn tendon. Uh haven't tried to hit any balls in three plus weeks and it seems to be doing better. So hopefully it's just a severe sprain and uh, and I don't have to have surgery. But yeah, I'm the back's doing better. Uh, I implemented some more upper body stretches to my regular daily stretching routine, and it's really freed me up. Uh, I was hitting the ball pretty darn good when I got injured. Tim, switching gears a little bit, uh, all the talk around the game of golf right now is about this new Live Tour and the players that have resigned from the PGA Tour to go play over there. What are your thoughts? How do you feel about this thing? Well, I have I have mixed emotions. I think it's going to greatly dampen the legacy of, of Norman and Nicholson uh, in particular with some of the comments they've made. And, you know, Norman's hero was always Jack Nicholas, and good Lord, he ripped him this week. So um, I don't know. I think it's unfortunate. Um, I understand name and likeness. Um, for instance, uh, when I had a website built, a number of years ago, uh, I had to run everything through the PGA Tour, and I had to acquire my pictures from uh, Getty Images. They own the rights to every picture of Tim Simpson, and um, it, 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 it's really, you know, Mickelson pets on that. That that I'm not real big on. You know, your life is your life, and what you accomplish is your accomplishment, but um, I don't know. It kind of left a little bit of a sour taste in my mouth. And, uh, I wound up last year. I just pulled my website down. Um, it's like, you know, if somebody calls me and wants me to help them. I'll consider doing it, but I'm just not, you know, not into jumping through all the hoops, but I, I do, I, I don't know a, a number of the other players that you're alluding to. I know Kevin Nas, uh, playing over there. I'm really disappointed Louis Oosthuizen is because he's one of my favorites. And I think one of the absolute most gorgeous swings in history. And um, I, I just think, especially with the American players, I think it's going to hurt their legacy. I really do. Because, you know, uh, I ran into a couple of guys today uh, on the golf course. I did a playing lesson with my little junior. And um they brought it up and they just said, it's all about money. It's all about money, you know, and, and, you know, they're not all wrong. And I'll make a, I'll make a prediction. I'll go out on a limb. I thought about this this morning and I've told a couple of people, if Ricky Fowler has another bad year and misses the top 125, I think you'll see Ricky over there because they're going to pay him a bunch of money for his name and, and, and to play. And what's he got to lose? He has no more. He wouldn't have any status over here. He'd have to rely on sponsor exemptions. Um, but I don't know how guys jumping ship is going to affect status of getting in the majors. You know, because it it's certainly not the PGA Tour. Um, and I certainly understand competition, and I understand monopolies. But I don't. I don't know. It's it's like they're trying to buy the game. You know, when you have 
what is it, three billion, two or three billion in the bank. You know, it's like paying Dustin Johnson a hundred million is nothing. But you know, when it's all said and done, you know, we have to be businessmen as well. And I can see both sides of it, but a side that people don't really think about are the tax repercussions. And I will assure you that his people were digging deep on that because that hundred million could turn into 25 million. You know, yeah. you, you get the gist, not necessarily yep. 25, but, um, case in point, one year at the million dollar challenge in, in South Africa, it was the top 10 players in the world invited. It was a million dollar first prize, 100,000 last prize. And, uh, I made a quarter of a million. I think I finished third. And when it was all said and done, I walked away with 90,000. Wow. Um, I got double taxed. Then my agent took his piece of it and I got 90,000 out of a quarter of a million. So it wasn't wow. that great a deal, you know? Um, so I will assure you, Dustin Johnson and other guys, their, their financial people have dug deep into what exactly is going to be the bottom line number. Tim, I want to go back to a comment that you made a minute ago about your website that you had to acquire the pictures of yourself from the PGA tour. And by acquire, I'm assuming you mean you had to buy them back. Is that right? Yeah. You have to pay a licensing and they went so far the PGA tour. I had, um, Oh, uh, I've, I've gone blank on the term now, um, where other players say nice things about you. Um, any, anyway, uh, yeah, yeah, quotes from other players, you know, Crenshaw and Calcabec, Chip Beck, a bunch of my buddies that were top players, you know, that were just very, very flattering. And in their bios on my website, I would say, you know, Ben Crenshaw, winner of the Masters twice, you know, 20 something majors, world, you know, this and that. And the PGA Tour would not let me use the PGA Tour in the description. It could only say tour event. So it makes one of the all times great, great seem like just another player. I mean, they were, they were, I was shocked at how picky they were. You know, and then, um, uh, during COVID, I've got an email from Getty saying basic, basically my licensing was up and come up with money for my pictures, name and likeness. You know, otherwise there was no more. They were pulling them off the website. And I said, you know what? This, I, I don't need the money that bad. I'm not trying to chase guys around on the PGA tour and build a big name for myself as a teacher. I just want to, you know, teach a few young people, try to help help them become champions, help them get college scholarships. That's where my calling is now. Because really, you know, at 66 years old, I'm not going to stand out there in 100-degree Georgia heat and retire. You know, it's, <laughs> it's um, but, if it, but if it's a young person that's truly driven, um, you know, I'm pouring my heart uh, like the little 12-year-old boy that I'm working with, Lathan Hillen, this kid is, I mean, he's better than I was at his age. This kid has got it going on. And once he grows and puts on muscle, I mean, he's, he's up to 96 pounds. He's five foot tall. But good God, you ought to 
see this guy's short game in putting. And he's just, he's a brilliant young kid. And that's, that's the satisfaction I'm getting today, Chris, is sharing my knowledge of a lifetime. Um, and I've always, uh, I, I'm, it's a no pat on my back. I've just always had an ability to teach. I mean, there's very few players in my generation that didn't ask me to watch them, you know, and, and what are you doing wrong? And, and if it's somebody like Finchie, your next guest, Ian Baker Finch, I'd say, okay, now, Finchie, come over here to the putt green because he was as good as it got, you know. And um, I, I just, I love it. I really do. I teach a lot like Butch Harmon. I keep it very simple. I'm not into, you know, drawing all kind of lines and showing you swing playing this and that because truly even Adam Scott, as gorgeous as his swing is, you can probably find the fault in his swing play. You know, to me, it's about fixing you and getting you out on the course next week to make money or to qualify for the mid-amateur or what have you. Um, you know, get make money if you're a pro kind of deal. But, um, yeah, this back to the live tour, I think it's, it's a huge can of worms and, um, I, I don't know, but you just remember, you heard it here on, about Ricky Fowler, and, and I haven't heard it, that his name mentioned at all, but I'm just kind of a little bird on the wall this morning said, what's Ricky Fowler going to do if he loses his card? Because, he, you know, he didn't make enough money to keep his card last year, but I believe uh, he was still under the graces of, I think he had five years for his TPC win, and I think that solidified it for him. Um, am I correct there? Do you recall? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You are right. Yeah. So, you know, you don't want to be on the outside looking in. And if you see you're going to be out on the outside and somebody says, Hey, you want 50 million? I'm like, sign me up, coach. <laughs> you know, <laughs> absolutely. Put, put me in the game, baby. I'm ready to play. <laughs> so, Tim, and that's sort of same vein. If, for whatever reason, the live tour doesn't work out. When you know, before next year, after next year, whatever. Is there a path back for these guys? Do you think the PGA Tour welcomes a DJ and Phil Mickelson and Kevin Na, whoever, back with open arms? How do you feel like is that bridge burned? How do you feel like they get back? I don't know. And if they get back, I mean, you know, Phil's been the darling of the media for thirty years, you know, and. I mean, Americans are slow to forget, you know, and um, I, I don't know how he ever regains that adoration that he had his whole career. Um, I, I think it's kind of tragic. And, you know, it comes down to it, and I would tell him this. I mean, I haven't talked to him in years, but we were friends when, when I was on tour. And, I, I mean, I was one of the hundred and 43 other guys that he beat as an amateur at Tucson when he won. And I'm like, good Lord, is this kid good? But um, I just, I, I don't know. I think that it's really tarnished his legacy, you know, and how much money do you need? I mean, for God's sake, he's, you know, I, I know he's blown a lot gambling and this and that, but he's got have three, four, five hundred million invested 
you know, even living in California where they're raking a giant cut out of it. Um, I just, I don't know. I don't understand why. And as far as the European guys go, I do have something I think that'll pique your interest is, um, the, the Lee Westwoods, the Sergios, and there's a couple other names that you would know that elude me right now. They're on the downhill of their career. So why wouldn't they take the money? Yeah, they're not 28 anymore. You know, they're, <laughs> they're, they're on the downhill slide, you know, and, and plus, you know, it's, I can't imagine it being more than a few hour private jet flight to Saudi Arabia from, from England. Um, you know, so they could still, you know, stay at home you know, right. for the majority of the year. One of the other things that I've heard is the success of the Live Tour might actually be in the hands of Fred Ridley, the chairman at Augusta National, because if they decide not to invite players on that tour to come to play in the Masters, they may have no chance to survive. If the players and the past champions get invited, maybe they've got a shot. Do you think that's true? Well, you know, there were rumors, you know, a couple of months back that basically he was going to tell Phil, you're not welcome. We don't need the distraction. Uh, because just because you're a former champion doesn't mean you're automatically back in. You have to receive an invite is my understanding. And I didn't realize that until I read this article. And, um, you know, they're, they're so big, they don't want any kind of distraction. You know, it's like, you, you just don't want it. You know, it's, it's like the, the PGA, you know, DeChambeau playing the media. I'm going to try to play. I'm going to try to play and all the build up. Well, you know what? There was some guy that was first alternate that didn't get in the tournament because, you know, you were using it as a marketing thing, knowing your risk wasn't ready to play. So, you know, somebody didn't get in because, you know, he act like he was going to play or teed off or what have you. So I, I don't know. I, I, I think there, there's got to be morals to it. And I think there's, um, Chris, only you know what's best for you and your family and me for, for myself, you know, and, you know, if, if, if I was Lee Westwood at, 46 or whatever, and somebody threw a bunch of millions at me, you know, I'd say, well, hell yeah, I don't like flying all across the Atlantic to tournament, you know, 10 or 15 times a year in the state. You know, I would consider, you know, he's had umpteen chances to win majors and this and that and played great, falling short. But, you know, and he's got plenty of money in the bank. I've seen him driving his Rolls Royce. So, Anyway, um, I don't know. You know, there's, I guess we all have an opinion and I, I'd right. be anxious to hear Finchie's opinion, you know, but I think if you're foreign, um, say Louis or Schwartzel, you know, they're South African. Um, I think you ought to be treated a little differently than a true American that's a PGA Tour member, you know, because hmm. as you know, you can have joint membership on the European tour and the PGA tour is my understanding. Right. Um, So I I don't know, you know, it's a sticky situation, but there is no arguing. You would agree. They're, they're trying to buy 
yeah. you know, the world would go kind of do. Yeah. And Tim, I said, there's no doubt. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your thought. I was going to say there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that Greg has a vendetta against the PGA Tour. There's no doubt. And there's no doubt he's getting paid a whopping bunch of money to front this whole deal over there. Um, you know, he proposed, you know, the, the world tour, world golf tour, or whatever, and Tim Fincham turned it down and then came right back and did it himself, you know, with, with, um, all these world golf events, you know, and I just don't think, I don't think it's fair to, to be playing for 10, 15, 20 million or whatever with 30 players. It's just not fair. And I don't think it's good for the game. I think that, you know, you take the top 144 players, you know, and tee them off and you see who's best that week. But it's not like an invitation. That's just my opinion, Chris. Tim, let's switch gears a little bit. We talk about the mental side of the game on this show a lot. I know you did some work back in the day with Dr. Bob Rotella. What were some of the things that you two worked on together? Well, Tom Kite and I were Bob's first two clients, and Bob is still one of my dearest friends in the world. I still call him occasionally. Now it's with questions about my archery, and you know, having issues with this or that or something mental. And um, I think probably kind of the landmark breakthrough with me was relaxing more on the course, learning to talk more. I think my first five, seven, eight, nine years on tour, I was just so intense. I mean, I was like Tiger times five to the point where, I mean, I was in great shape back then. And at the end, you know, late afternoon, early evening, you know, you go back to your room, you take a shower. And I literally didn't have the energy to go to dinner. Um, that was back when they had room service and I would call for a pot of coffee and I'd have a couple of cups of coffee just to get enough energy to go eat dinner and come back. And Bob, Bob and I, you know, I've always been very perfectionistic. Um, and one of Bob's big things is per perfectionism will get you 95% of the way to greatness, but until you put it down and and let your true talent come through, you'll never achieve great. And, you know, there's so many things that he taught me, and I've studied, studied and studied his stuff. And, you know, I don't know if he still does, but for 25-plus years, he told, told people nobody in the world knew his stuff better than me. And, indeed, I've had players and college coaches and this and that contact me saying, he, he's booked, we can't get him. You know, would you come speak or tell me what to do in this situation? But it's basically taking the pressure off of yourself. And I would challenge your listeners to to pay attention this summer in whatever sport they enjoy, whether it's uh, Major League Baseball or uh, NASCAR or the PGA Tour or LPGA, whatever it is, pay attention to when the person that wins has a crazy day, like three home runs or whatever, and they ask him, what in the heck were you thinking, Chris, when you shot 62 or when you hit three home runs today? Have them pay attention to how many times they say, 
I was just having fun. And believe it or not, amateurs do not understand it. They think you're crazy when you tell them that the greatest athletes on earth work with sports psychologists on crying left in competition. And there's an old saying, there's an old saying in sports, certainly in archery, which I love, we're all heroes in our own backyard. (laughs) And taking, you know, it's like you go out and carry your bag for a quick nine holes and dead gummit, you shoot 30, you know, and there's nobody there to see it and nobody's going (laughs) to believe you. You know, and then you play yeah. tomorrow in the club championship, you know, and you shoot 84, you know, <laughs> and, um, it's, it's basically if, 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 and I've been asked many times, in define sports psychology in one sentence, I would say it's, it is keeping your conscious mind quiet long enough to let your subconscious mind do what it knows how to do. Wow. Let me give you an example. Let me give you an example. Last hole, U.S. Open, Masters, whatever. You've got a four-footer, eight-footer, what have you, to win. And you're standing over taking your practice strokes, and you're like, oh, my God, this is to win the Masters. This is going to be $100 million in endorsement. Let me tell you what, brother, it's fixing to be ugly on television. <laughs> you know, and and that and and that's what happened to um, oh uh, the young man that won this year, the big dude. Uh, I've gone blank. Uh, won the Masters. Got each other. Yeah. Well, but got it. Got it. Well, that's what happened on eighteen. And his, I would bet my truck that what his caddy said when he stepped in is all right. Just take a breath. Let's finish this thing off because I know his mind wandered because you don't knock it three feet by straight uphill from three feet. You know, that's some serious nerves coming in. And um, another thing we work on with, with, with Bob is staying in the process and staying out of results. And that is ultra important, ultra important is if you start thinking about results like Scotty did briefly or like I mentioned, I mean, I've done it. Everybody's done it. it it's not going to be a happily ever after ending, I don't think. <laughs> yeah. At least it wasn't for me on a number of occasions. <laughs> so is the same thing true, Tim? If we look back to the PGA Championship, I mean, Mito Pereira, he had one hand on the Wanamaker Trophy. And I'm not sure what that swing was on 18, but the next thing you know, he's in the water. And a couple of minutes later, not only does he not win the championship, he's not even in the playoff. Yeah, I'm with you. It was an ugly swing, but he was 15 feet to the left, not, not 40 yards, 15 feet to the left. He's got a shot at the green with a eight iron. And the tournament's over, you know. Um, but I would also say if he was choking, he would not have grabbed that driver. I think he was in the moment, and I think it's like, let's pick our target and let's handle business. Um, I thought he did a magnificent, humble interview, and I hope he makes millions and millions of dollars in endorsements. 
off of it. And I don't think it's the last you're going to see of, of this young man. And he played incredible. He really did. And it, it was tragic. It, it was it was like John Vanderbilt at the uh, yeah. British Open years ago. You know, you got you got the Masters. You know, you got one sleeve on the jacket, and you know, basically have a heart attack. <laughs> oh, I I don't know. I I thought it was tragic. I about teared up. I'm like, oh, please don't do this. I you know, know, but yeah. And the and the crazy thing is, um, uh, what's uh, the, uh, oh, gone blank again? The tall, thin kid hits hits it like I used to, and puts it worse than I used to. Um, <laughs> kid that finished second in Masters last year. Yeah, Will Zalatoris. Yeah, Will Zalatoris. I mean, he's thrashing it all over the dadgum place and getting away with it. Justin Thomas hit some crooked shots. And Mito's just down the middle on the green, down the middle on the green, you know, and, and you forget that he hung it on the lip on 17, could have gone right. quarter of a turn, or he'd have had a two-shot lead. He could have kicked it off the tee on 18. <laughs> right. So. Tim, as we look ahead a couple of weeks to the U.S. Open at the Country Club outside of Boston, you were the first player in tour history to reach nine under par at a U.S. Open. You did so at Medina in 1990. Talk about your opening rounds of 66-69, because U.S. Opens don't usually allow for such great scoring. Well, I was I was hitting on all cylinders, and I'm sure after all the years of teaching Tiger and watching other players, Butch is probably Butch Harmon's probably changed his his uh, thoughts. But I know he told me and told many people for years after that that it was the greatest two rounds of ball striking he ever saw, and um, I, I just, it's something that it, it's kind of like Mito. I will, I will be laying in my coffin thinking about losing that tournament. I missed seven putts under four feet the last two days to finish fourth or whatever I finished. And I mean, it just crushed me. It crushed me. It was wor- it was worse than getting knocked off the Ryder Cup team in 91 when I was too sick with Lyme disease. Um, you know, and I got knocked off on the last hole of the PGA Championship. But, um, it, you know, life goes on. And as you get older, it's, it's not the end of the world. You know what? Your kids still love you. My dog still loves me. Life goes on. And I think that, unfortunately, we make golf the be-all, end-all. You know, that it is the whole world on this putt. You know, and, and, uh, as sad as it was to watch what happened in the PGA championship, there were probably very few people three days later at dinner still talking about it. You know, it's like, well, it happened. You know, it's a bad break. Tim, with the U.S. Open being there at the country club in Brookline this year, golf historians are going to remember that that's the site where Francis we met defeated Harry Varden and Tim Ray back in 1913. Curtis Strange won it there in 1988. Were you in the field there in 88? Yes, I was. I don't remember what I, how I played. And, and ironically, which is very unusual for me, I don't remember a lot about the golf course. Um, I remember 18 finishing right, right, right behind the clubhouse. Uh, I remember a lot of rough. I remember you had to maneuver the ball. 
you know, which is the big thing that kids don't like today. They like to swing, you know, come out of their shoes and half fall down. They don't like putting it in tight fairways and drawing it and fading it, as you saw at Colonial a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, Johnny Miller made a great point, I don't know, 12, 14 years ago, uh, U.S. Open that was outside Chicago was a, uh, I think it was at Olympia Fields. It was a, I think Jurek won. It was a shortish course, but you had to maneuver the ball. And Johnny said, you want to tiger-proof a golf course? This is how you do it. You bring the fairways in at 20 yards wide, you go the rough up to your knees, and you roll the greens and make them like rocks and tuck the pin. It's not making them 7,500. You know, you put ball striking at a premium, and now you've got the U.S. Open. Tim, before I let you go, for the folks out there wondering, how can I get Tim Simpson to take a look at my swing? Tell them how they can do it. Well, uh, my my email that I give out is timbogolf99 at gmail.com. And all I got to do is um, shoot me an email, and, or they can, they can call Harbor Club down here at Lake Oconee, and they'll get in touch with me or give you my number, and we'll go from there. And you you still need to come down here now. You and I are supposed to get together, Chris. I know it. Trust me. It's on my bucket list of things to do. I gotta get. I gotta make time to do that, Tim. As as my as my beloved dead father would say, son, the price is right. I told you, <laughs> I'm gonna charge you, so you got nothing to lose. Hundred <laughs> percent right. Tim, I love you, my friend. Well, I listen, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. Thank you so much, Chris, and please uh, give my best wishes to Finchy. Uh, true class gentleman and one of the greatest putters the game has ever seen. I will do so. Stay safe, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Thank you so much, Chris. Call me anytime. See you, buddy. Appreciate you. Take care, Tim. That is the great Tim Simpson. And I tell you what, folks, I am a hundred percent got to get down there and spend some time with Tim. There's, there's, uh, probably nobody, like I say, nobody was better. The better ball striker than Tim Simpson was, so there's no one better that can fix your game, and my game needs a bunch of fixing. So I'm looking forward to getting down there and spending some time with Tim and then getting him back on the show again, hopefully, very soon.